Welcome to episode 45 of the Atalan Rising podcast. In today's episode, we discuss Marvel Rising Alpha, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur 31, Miss Marvel 30, Lockjaw 4, and Dazzler X Song. Hi, boys. Hello. How are things? I'm tired. <laughs> you don't sound it at all. You sound you sound wonderful. No. Oh, thank you. But I really am Adam, tired. You, however, do you sound tired? I what? sound tired. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, That's... Was it? Is it late there over across it's, the pond? It's uh, it's twelve minutes to eight o'clock at night. Uh-oh, almost bedtime. Yeah. So um, so keyword so, is almost. Yeah. So I'm I'm not going to bed at eight o'clock. Um. Because I've got an awesome podcast to record. Hey. There you go. Yay. Um, <laughs> jumping right in. So did you yeah. did you go to Comic-Con? I did. And uh, I went and spoke which to... One? Wait, 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 wait. Which one was it? So that was London was... MCM. Okay. Um, which is kind of... It's it's more of a big pop culture thing than it is comics, but I think that's the same for every single Comic-Con ever. Pretty much. So... <clears throat> Yeah, it was really good. Um, I managed to meet um, Cullen Bunn, who writes uh, X-Men Blue. Um, yes, he does. He's a super nice guy, and I, I, I mentioned that that I really enjoyed his Magneto run. Um, got him to sign Magneto issue 1 and X-Men Blue issue 24, the one with the cover with like Polaris, Zorn. Neat. Yeah. You know, was... I wish you I wish you had, had mentioned to him that what he did in that Deadpool kills the marvel universe too what he did to spider woman that was that was just brutal and you should have said something <laughs> about it and I, it was brutal and uncalled for you should have told him that okay. yeah. I, I, could, <laughs> I could have told him that had i known anything about what you're talking about okay <laughs> so in, oh, in deadpool oh, kills boy. the marvel universe too he goes after jessica drew okay and i guess deadpool's like having these like hallucinations or something i didn't read the whole thing i just read the one at you and he kills Jessica Drew with two swords right in front of her kid, man. And and Roger. So both of them are dead, and there's blood everywhere, and the kid's in the, the, the crib crying, and it's just a mess. <laughs> just a mess. It was really a rough Yeah, week. that sounds pretty, pretty brutal. It was, bad. It, was um, bad. it was good, but it was bad. So of, like, inhuman alumni... Uh, I went and spoke to Fraser Irving and um, David Hine. David oh, Hine is oh, da- David, David Hine is a, um, a local. Well, I say a local guy. He he lived locally for a while. Um, How are they doing? Yeah, they're all right. David Hine is working for. Uh, I can't remember who he's working for. It's a company that produces like VR based, uh, AR based um, <clears throat> comics and stuff, and it's like a board game based on that. It's quite cool. Um, cool. <laughs> Fraser Irving uh, is also really good. I, I chatted to him for like half an hour. <clears throat> it was ridiculous. It's like I just stood there talking about it, like you know, in humans. <laughs> we were talking about the humans TV show. We were talking about X Men TV shows. It was just kind of it, he is he is an absolute delight to talk to. And if anybody gets the chance to go meet him, go and meet him. Um, in fact, I think he's doing like a little um, get together at Orbital Comics in London on the. Don't quote me on the date, but it's somewhere around like the 13th of August or something, um, which is a Saturday, which uh, he plays guitar. So he's going to go and. Uh, so if you want to go and see him, go and uh, watch him then. Okay. But there was. There was an interesting, the, the interesting part about that conversation, which I think I, I wanted to bring up with you guys, um, 
was around um sort of the TV show sort of brought it up. Um and I think we can all say now that the TV show was just a bit trash. Um we we never really talk about it again and that sort of stuff. But one of the things that came out of it was the um was the idea of homogeny within the inhumans sort of as a as a race. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a deep topic of conversation. I don't expect either of us to like or any of us rather to to really touch on it too much. But have you ever thought that like the Inhumans TV show they they could have they could have probably like done it slightly differently because the Inhumans are very. I'm glad you. Like, like obviously they could have done it differently, but I mean like um, yeah. One of the comments that Fraser Irving said was that Atalan was based in the Himalayas for however long. You know, wouldn't they all be of like? Asian descent and all kind of like look alike. Oh, I see. So that, that um, you know, it was a weird conversation because it because it it sort of trailed after a lot of different other conversations, um, of which we're talking about you know various political situations in the world right now, which I don't want to touch. Um, and it came out of the idea of of kind of like you know. I guess PC in comic books and PC uh, PC in Hollywood. Correct. Well, not not politically correct. That is really the wrong word for it. Um, but the you know, in humans, in humans, feels like it. <clears throat> he, or from what Fraser Irving was saying, he was kind of like you know they were they were in the Himalayas for so long. Should they not be one kind of group of people? Whereas in the TV show, they were represented. The royal family were kind of people of different ethnicities and that sort of stuff. But then all the extras were <laughs> white American people by the looks of it, or at least, you know, from most of the episodes. So, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, it, it's a, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think that, um, you know, in the comic books, uh, back in the Fantastic Four, uh, yeah, those humans who, who looked human enough were all portrayed as Caucasian and that was a bit weird, especially since they were in the Himalayas. Although, granted, they they started off in Iceland before being moved to the Himalayas. Yeah, no, I, Iceland. Um, and uh, but um, the whole idea that um, the Cree would come to Earth and then pick a bunch of uh, of cavemen and make them into these people, and they would all be the same uh, race is sort of ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Then again, it's comics, and one of the reasons I think um, they looked that way is that the Inhumans were introduced in the story arc that directly followed the story arc in which the Fantastic Four uh, traveled to Wakanda and met the Black Panther. And, you know, this was in the 60s, early 60s, and uh, Lee and Kirby actually got quite a bit of blowback um, over having created Wakanda and showing this technologically advanced uh, place in Africa that um, that possessed technology that was far greater than anything produced in America, and that ruffled a lot of the sort of racist feathers out there, and um, they got quite a bit of heat. Um, although they were right, and it was cool, and there was nothing wrong with creating it, it was the 60s, it was a rough time. Yeah. So they created... Adelan next, and they could have made it a, a, a diverse place, so they could have had them all be Asian, but I think um, they may not have wanted to uh, 
tempt face, tempt fate twice because, you know, they weren't the big shots they are now, or that they became at the time. You know, Fantastic Four was still just getting off the ground. It was, it had a healthy readership, but um, it was still seen as a very high risk venture for the publisher. And um, so they went sort of the more traditional route of showing this um, alien type of society that, that kind of reverted to what was then the norm, the sort of de facto notion that these sort of places are white and whatnot. And, um, you know, that sucks, but it's been slowly, uh, corrected over time where, where, where the inhumans as they are now, it's, it's a much more, uh, diverse group of characters granted the, uh, the Royal family themselves, uh, remain pretty, um, wonder bread. Yeah. And I, th- I think that was the, um, that was that was kind of the the comment I think that we we, we spoke about at Comic Con. It was kind of like the the royal family being kind of the opposite of what they are in in the comic books in the TV show, and that should have been the same for everybody. It was kind of like, yeah, I mean, you either go all in with making it a a non homogenous group of people, which in theory it probably would have been, considering Terra Genesis seems to do whatever to whatever you know whatever to you. Um, but yeah, it was a really interesting conversation. It was really kind of, um, it was quite a deep conversation because it, it came out of, um, you know, talking about, you know, populism in the world. And I think that comic book Jawbreakers was mentioned. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, nice. Yeah. And, and it was kind of, it was, it was a really kind of quite a deep conversation to have at a Comic Con, um, to be honest with you. Um, well, either you suspend your disbelief or don't. I mean, exactly, it's, I mean, yeah. if it, you can, if you can handle that. A bunch of aliens living on the moon, then you can handle the, you know, not all the characters being of the same ethnicity. I mean, yeah. they, they enter into a chamber that changes their genetic structure. So. Exactly. Yeah. And that's they're going to the look I, different. I, I think that, I think that, you know, I'm not doing the conversation we had justice is because I'm kind of picking out one specific thing. Um, and I really don't want it to come across as anything other than that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was kind of it was quite a quite a deep conversation, quite a, a, you know quite a you know in some ways it was quite philosophical as well. But um, well, it's cool to hear that that Mr. Irving is interested in such things as representation in comics because it's such yeah. an important issue. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, he he was in he was it, I mean more in reference to the TV show, and he was kind of like you know they all the extras being white. He had an issue with that uh, because it was kind of. You know, whilst if you are going to do homogeneity within the humans, it, you know, you do it differently because they're not all going to be white, sort of Caucasian I, people. I uh, just had a whole bunch of issues with that show in general. I mean, oh, I, yeah, I did I mean, enjoy it for what it was, but I really think that Marvel did a huge disservice to the Inhumans as a whole the last couple of years. So I think they did a disservice to their franchise as a whole as well, though, because. I was talking to my friends about it this morning, and, and none of them have watched Runaways, none of watched, none of them have watched Cloak and Dagger either, because of the fact that Inhumans just put them off to Marvel TV. Um, however, I'm going to catch up with both. I heard Cloak and Dagger is fabulous, and I know Runaways is really good. Yeah. But anyway, that was my little uh, that was my little Comic Con event adventure. I got some signed issue ones of uh, Magneto and uh, Silent War. That was pretty good. Cool. Nice. So yeah. Good job. I'll, uh, I'll keep those safe. I got my <laughs> NYCC tickets, so 
I'm only going on Saturday this year, though. But I will be at NYCC on Saturday. Nice. All right. I'm, so I was, if you're I was, going to be there. I was thinking about it. Well, when, when is uh, the New York Com- Con? Uh, uh, that's a great question. When is the New York Comic Con? I don't even know the dates. I just bought tickets. I'm like, yep, going. <laughs> I think it's second <laughs> weekend of October. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's uh, ways off. I think oh, yeah. And they just did the pre-sale. Um, and I guess Saturday sold out. Like someone, I got on at exactly ten o'clock, and um, someone I know um, was sold out a Saturday, and I was really surprised. I must have gotten one of the last Saturday tickets, so I'm glad I I got it. So let's see, what are the dates? Ah, uh, what are the dates? Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. October fourth through the seventh. Oh, okay, first weekend oh. of October then. So I will um, be there on the sixth. Yeah, I was I was seriously considering it because I found some really cheap tickets to the US via Canada, and being Canada being the greatest North American country in the world, in North America even, um, which doesn't make any sense as a sentence. But yeah, so so I was thinking about a trip over there at some point. You should totally go. I I, I do really want to. It'd be it'd be great to go and have a look, but yeah, uh, think about it. Okay, fine. I see how it is. <laughs> but anyway, more about comic books now. We've been sort of yeah rambling for thirteen minutes. What are we going to talk That's about? That's right. It's been a while. Uh, we've got Marvel Rising Alpha, oh, which boy. I um found to be a very fun issue myself. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, it's a blast. And you want to give us a rundown, Doc? Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, this is uh, as, if, as if this is a massive change. <laughs> so. um, kind of an oversized one shot. Well, it's not really a one shot. It's kind of a continuation of the zero issue. The the numbering is all quite odd. Um, yeah, it, it began began with Marvel Rising Zero. Now we have Marvel Rising Alpha One, and then the next issue will be Marvel Rising. Miss Marvel and Squirrel Girl one. Um, <laughs> I, oh, so I don't know if we'll ever get any number two or anything like that. Yeah, I just um, I don't after understand. that it'll be Marvel Rising Omega. Uh, Omega one as well. Ahead, I, I, yeah, I don't understand why you'd call it Alpha Issue One because it's well, not like you can have a. Oh, I know, but they do it all the time anyway. Yeah, I, the last one I had was in uh, the uh, was it the Black Vortex. We had a, that actually it was had like that Alpha and Omega. Spider Women crossover too. Yeah, yeah. It was like Alpha One and Omega Number One. Silly. Anyways, it's a nice story about um, uh, sort of a, a continuation of the team up between Squirrel Girl and Miss Marvel, and it centers around. Um, oh, it's by uh, Devin Grayson on writing, with uh, Jorge Durant on art and uh, Rochelle Rosenberg on coloring, and they all do a great job. And they work mm-hmm. great together. Um, so in the previous issue, some unknown villainous uh, character had hired a group of AIM scientists to try and abduct these, these uh, high school students and do uh, genetic screening on them. Uh, Marvel Girl and Squirrel Girl, Miss Marvel and Squirrel Girl, they, they, they showed up and, and defeated the scientists. But one of them got away and was able to... Uh, relay the information or send the information they gathered um, to this unknown villain. And uh, he spotted that one of them, one of these young teenage high schoolers, uh, has inhuman powers 
that he or she wishes to exploit. Okay, so we're introduced to this young girl, Ember, as the issue opens. Uh, she's a troubled young woman uh, who describes herself as a total loser. Um, it sounds as though her mom is kind of a mess, and she's constantly moving her and her daughter from home to home, city to city, looking for a fresh start after bad relationships. So it's been very difficult for Ember to make friends and to foster a sense of self with all this moving around, and the only, only sense of constancy that she gets is from her in the world of online gaming. She sees herself a loser in real life, but in, in, but in the world of uh, multiplayer roleplay gaming, uh, she's something of a goddess, um, which is all fine and good until some of the guys that she's playing against realize that she's a girl, and it, tr- it triggers all these sort of insecurities and, and anger and, and senselessness. So she's made the mistake of playing one of these games against a group of uh, male classmates at her new uh, high school where she's attending. Um, and she totally destroys these guys in the game, and it ends up provoking them into insisting that she must have cheated. And these guys are complete jerks. Oh my god, like yes. They're such, they're such jerks, and they feel like there's no way that a girl could beat them, and it totally threatens their sense of masculinity. And they just start, they start like um, being really mean to her. I'm getting and, in her face. Uh, and... just, yeah. Does that does that actually happen? Like, I, I obviously... Oh, yes, y- oh, yeah. Actually. Yes. Because the whole ordeal about it. Yeah. Yeah. It does I, actually happen. It, I mean, you see it on Twitter all the time, but it, it happened. Yes. Because, that does cause, happen. Because obviously. 100%. Games I, I play a lot of WoW, or I used to. Um, however, I've been very lucky in my gaming, um, in that the guys I have gamed with have been pretty awesome guys. Um, and there were also a lot of women in my guild as well. A lot of, um, boyfriends and girlfriends playing the game together and, um, you know, husband and wives and their kids playing all together. And I've been in guilds like that, um, that haven't been super competitive. Um, but, uh, so I've been very lucky in that I haven't experienced a lot of that behavior, but I know people who have experienced that behavior. Um, and, uh, it's bullshit. Yeah, that's what yeah, I mean. And I think it also spills over language. a good deal into um, the world of game development, um, where um, women who work on the who work on the games get a lot of um, mistreatment from the fans. Absolutely, uh, I have a Twitter friend um, who's actually become a pretty good friend. At she uh, and Margaret Stoll too. She used to do game development. I'm sure if you were to talk to uh, either of them. Uh, they would have stories to tell you. Yeah, I know you talked about. Well, the uh, I don't really know a whole lot about it, but the whole sort of term of Gamergate is about this notion that um, you know the gaming community is trying to be uh, more inclusive to to women, to male, to female, and and women women gamers, and there's been kind of a um, huge pushback. Uh, a pushback. Of, of gatekeeping saying, you know, no, we want to keep gaming kind of a boys only club. I mean, which is ridiculous, but I guess it happens. And, um, this little piece of the story is definitely seems to be evocative of that. Um, it totally you know, is. so what these, these jerks do these in, in the comic book, um, they, they, um, 
they freeze Ember out of her gaming account. They, they, um, I don't know, guess her password or something like that and, and shut her out of, out of her, out of her site. So she had, you know, she was, she's been pretty depressed. And the only place where she finds some, some respite is in, in this, uh, gaming world. And then these jerks take it away from her. And so she is just, um, really really mad and rightfully so. Now, um, on top of everything else going for, going on for Ember, she's also an inhuman. The Terrigen cloud had floated over the East Coast and, uh, she went into a cocoon. And then when she emerged, uh, she hadn't, didn't seem to have changed. She didn't get any superpowers. Um, all she could do was kind of like make a little bit of light in her hands. Um, so she feels totally cheated. Uh, she didn't get, she didn't get any cool superpowers. It seems like, just like everything else in her life, um, it kind of sucks. Um, now it turns out that she actually did get powers, only it required a kind of a specific emotional stimuli to trigger these powers into bloom. Um, and being bullied <laughs> turns out to be just the kind of trigger needed. Um, now, all the while, she's been uh, texting with this mysterious online pal who, who remains faceless. And he's kind of a, or he or she is kind of like a sympathetic ear uh, for Ember's troubles. Um, and it soon becomes clear that this voice or this texting partner is probably the same person who, who sent those AIM uh, folks after her in the first place. Right. So she's at the same school where Kamala Khan goes to school. And it just turns out that Doreen Green ha- has been teaching a class in game theory um, to gain college credits. Um, and Ember's in this class, and it turns out that Kamala's in this class as well. It's just sort of a kismic, everyone shows up at the same spot kind of deal. Um, that can only and, ever happen in comics, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're still, City. they still not realize who they are. Right. I mean, well. despite the fact that, uh, yeah. Squirrel Girl's costume consists of wearing a beret. With like uh, um, squirrel ears on it, it's not exactly hiding her identity. But nonetheless, Kamala doesn't recognize her, and Squirrel Girl doesn't recognize her, or does she? Because uh, during the break, um, uh, Doreen comes over to Kamala and is like, "Hey, I think I know you." Um, and it's actually she recognizes uh, her name and doodling uh, as uh, um, <laughs> evocative of. Um, the uh, fan fiction uh, uh, site um, freakingawesome.com where she where uh, where <laughs> Kamala is a, a, a fanfic writer named Sloth Sloth Baby and whom Doreen is the big fan of um, and so that was kind of a funny thing that the the uh, sort of willing suspension of disbelief that these two don't recognize her was kind of played for laughs that uh, she does recognize her but she only recognizes her from her online presence as a fanfic writer. Um, and, uh, which is a callback to a very funny, uh, annual from back then, uh, all new, all different Avengers where, uh, oh, it was this all, is so good. all just, uh, little stories, um, told from the fanfic page. Um, one of which actually had, uh, Miss Marvel meeting Squirrel Girl, although so it was, this is technically the second meeting of them. Um, that's a good issue. Uh, right. All the while, these boys continue to tease this girl Emperor and she's just had it and somehow she manages to 
take in energy and remanifest it in the form of like a video game squirrel with <laughs> a big old mallet. And he start, and the squirrel, this digitized squirrel, just goes running on a muck, um, trying to wallop the boys who uh, had been teasing her. And uh, Doreen and, and Kamala, they each ditch away and change into their superhero guises and then come in and they fight the squirrel and eventually defeat it, causing it to uh, sort of shatter into dozens of little digitized cubes and whatnot. Pixels. It's kind of this cool Tron effect. Pixels. Boom. Um, and so Ember goes home and she's pissed. She's like, why Why were those superheroes not helping me? Um, you know, both those guys were bullying me and then the, and the superheroes come and protect them. That's, that's absolute bull. And her friend, whom she's been texting with, is like, well, you need to take it up a notch. You need to... Um, get revenge use use these powers you seem to have and 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 go stronger so the next day she tries that and she creates this big old donkey kong gorilla and the gorilla attacks those boys again and again this marvel and squirrel girl pop into action and there's a real neat kind of video game it's, fight it's, it's literally yeah it's literally donkey kong when mario has to dodge the um the barrels yeah yeah right. <laughs> So good. <laughs> yeah. It's... And again, through their teamwork, they're able to uh, destroy the digitized uh, gorilla, kind of rendering him into 64-bit pixels. And um, uh, again, Ember returns home, and she's just pissed. And, and the, the person whom she's been texting is like, well, you know, if the superheroes won't help you, then I guess you need to be a supervillain and take it to the next level again. And she's like, you know what? You're right. And the last page is her kind of like using her powers to create a neat little super villain outfit for herself. And it's like, uh oh, to be continued. This isn't yeah. going to be good. Um, you know, and although, it, you know, it's kind of just a fun story or whatnot, but, um, it's a, it, they make a, a smart decision, um, in kind of focusing on Ember throughout much of the issue because she's a remarkably sympathetic character. Um, even mm-hmm. though, She's the bad guy. Um, you know what they say about really good villains are villains that don't see themselves as villains who, who whom you can relate to, even though if you, you right. don't agree with what they're doing. Same. And, Infinity uh, War is a, is a really good example of that. Yes. Right. Or uh, Black Panther. Uh, Black um, Panther, yeah. I think, yeah, the movies have done a really good job of that. And I think the comic books are starting to do that as well. Um, it's a really good theme to play off, I think. Right, so it's, uh, I mean, we see that, that Ember is given an opportunity to take a better path. There is a little interlude in the middle where Kamala tries to make friends with her. Um, but right. Ember, she's not interested in making friends because she knows it's only a matter of time before her mom, uh, uh uproots the family and moves somewhere else. So she's like, right. whatever. Um, so she's just, she's sad, she's angry, she's very sympathetic, and you can see why she might want to uh, take matters into her own hands. Um, and uh, I really liked it. The art I did. is fun. I thought, though, that Kamala and, and Doreen had figured each other out in their whole superhero identity. I thought Kamala, like, I thought um, Doreen well, figured out that that Kamala was Miss Marvel and Miss Marvel figured out Doreen's Squirrel Girl, but they haven't brought it to each other's attention yet. That's the um, impression I got from that. Was, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kamala... Kamala sees uh, um, 
Doreen coming out of the restroom ever after she is sort of rechanged and trapped. And she kind of, you kind of get the sense that she's put two and two together. But um, I don't know if it's gone the other way either. Uh, yeah, I think by next issue, they will probably figure out who each other is. I'd like to know who um, the King of Pwn is. Yeah, I think. I believe it's going to be the Exile. Yeah. It's true. Who's this random villain from Iron Man who just happens to be an inhuman? And, um, they've, uh, they, they've chosen him for reasons unknown, but he's going to be part of the cartoon, the Marvel Rising cartoon shorts. Oh, okay. so I, yeah. I keep, I keep forgetting it's going to be a cartoon, and that's, that's the greatest right. thing. That's the best thing about it. Yes. So I'm I'm guessing that that this mysterious voice that she that Ember keeps on texting him, whose name whose screen name is King of Pwn. Yeah, Pwn. <laughs> My guess is that it's the Exile, um, but I could be wrong. Could be someone else. Could be uh, Loki. I don't know. Um, we will find out. I actually think Ember's power set's kind of cool. It's a little bit a lot a little bit sort of like Kid Kaiju. She can just pull stuff out of like. The web, it's kind of neat. Yeah, it it is it, cool. She she's sort of like a um. Well, there was this awful movie that I saw like a quarter of on TV where um Adam Sandler has to fight a bunch of video oh. game creatures yeah. in real life. That awful movie that basically spawned out of a Futurama episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but in it. In it, like uh, Pac-Man and Cupid and whatnot, they're all attacking Earth, and it kind of reminded me of that, like where where she can like draw yeah, energy cooler. and remanifest it into these uh, these digitized, lifelike, hard-like beings. And it, it, it's it, I think that um that um Durant and Rosenberg do a really good job of illustrating them because they they look electric. And they have that neat sort of like 64-bit thing going for them. It's right. pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I liked everything about this issue except for one thing. What's that? I hated that it cost five bucks. That is <laughs> just stupid. Why did because, they do that? Because it? zero is free. Yeah. Zero is free. Second, I mean, that's how you sell crack cocaine. That's not how you sell comic books. <laughs> Um, <laughs> comic books basically are crack for like people that have disposable income to be fair well the whole idea of marvel rising was to appeal to a broader yeah. uh, more diverse audience you you want like younger and people who who don't normally read comics to give it a shot so you don't go in with five bucks because that's i mean that's really tough for someone who's not sure if they want to read a comic or not see this is, um, this is they the should thing, go right? Is, is, yeah, the, the value of comics in the US, in my opinion, is much different to the value of a comic in the UK. And I know a lot of people who complain about the, the, the cost of comic books in the UK being too high, whereas I get a subscription through a, um, a UK um, sort, of, sort of countrywide company. Uh, they're a chain. Um, I can call it, well, I don't know how to describe them. It's Forbidden Planet. Um so I get sent out my comic books on a monthly basis, but they cost me two pound thirty each, um, Great. which is which is roughly the equivalent of four ninety nine. But it's kind of like for me that's 
you know, less than a cup of coffee. That's less than my lunch every day. That's, you know, in my opinion, that's really cheap for a bit of disposable entertainment. Um, maybe that's privilege talking, but <laughs> do you yeah. know? Do you know what I mean? It's like in the US when you say, "Oh, it's five dollars," but you think, "What can five dollars get you in the US that it can't in the UK?" You know, five dollars is is probably much more than just a bite to eat or a coffee or a, or a whatever. So, uh, yeah, I kind of feel for you there. Yeah, well, in any case, it's it's not how I would price a comic book that I'm asking new readers to take a chance on. Yeah, um, yeah. Because the right. very same day, um, this very same last Wednesday, uh, an issue of Squirrel Girl came out, and it is three bucks. So, you know, if you, you have a choice between those two books, oh well, I'm going to buy Squirrel Girl. Um, right. And um, it's just it bums me up because. Um, you know, if this series is going to make it, it's uh, it's going to require some new readers. And, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it'll be like all the other books of this ilk and they'll, it'll sell fine in trade and sell lousy and floppy. I don't know. Potentially. But, um, uh, well, I mean, because I, I think one of the one of the comments, actually, uh, one of the little editorial comments, I don't know if you noticed it, was like, um, I'll go read uh, issue zero to find out what this was about. Da, 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 da. Thank God for trades, though. And I'm like, well, that's not the way to sell a trade either, really. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, well, I just remember when I remember when Mosaic came out. Yeah. And, and it was a fantastic first issue. So good. But it was also a five dollar issue and was dead on arrival because no one knew anything about this guy. They weren't going to be like, oh, I'm going to spend five bucks. Right. On something and he's a brand new character. About. Like, why would they spend five bucks on a brand new character? But that's again. I think that I mean it's because it's because they double issue the first. Well, they don't. It's not compl- entirely a double issue, but you know they claim it's a double issue for you know issue one or whatever, and it's kind of oh you're getting double the amount for your money. Well, not really. You're getting paying double for a little bit more than normal. Right. Well, it's just uh, whatever. It's uh, it, it is what it is. Yeah, but it's 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 rubbish though because it's, it's like I was saying. It's 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 value for money at the end of the day um yeah moving on <laughs> <laughs> but i recommend it nonetheless even though it was uh, a bit Five expensive dollars. i think i think it's it's a well it's a Very fun well read yeah. nice art good writing um wonderful character development i think that um uh devin grayson has a great handle on how to write these two characters because Miss um, Marvel and Squirrel Girl, they, they've got a lot of, in common. They're both very bubbly and positive and whatnot. And I think in in a different writer's hands, it, it could be one of those things where where you can't tell who's who's talking. You could reverse the voice bubbles and it wouldn't make any difference. But that's not the case here. They're each given very unique sense of voice and, and um, they're a lot of fun to read together. Um, so, thumbs up from me. <laughs> how many how many lockjaws would you give it out of five? <laughs> I gave it four out of five lockjaws. It would have gotten five if it was three ninety nine or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, I completely appreciate that. I think yeah, I think comic books are just really, really, really expensive these days. But you got to pay the artist to do it. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I get that. But it's kind of like if you if you priced it down more, it's like Doc said. You could potentially you could potentially sell more, um, and if you sell more on mass, then you can still pay the the, the artists 
what they what they're you know what they're owed. You know, mm-hmm. but the comics industry is not something that I'm particularly um, <laughs> particularly interested in, or you know the, the 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 capitalism behind it, that sort of thing. So. You know. We look at Marvel. Marvel's absolutely um, subsidized by the Disney Corporation. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're not going to make a huge amount of profit, but what they're doing is they're, they're seeding their crops. You know, they're like, right, this is material that we can use in video games, TV shows, cartoons, movies, and whatnot. So, um, they don't need to worry about making a huge profit. And even if they were, they're not going to. Oh, it's just that. not a highly profitable, profit, you know, profitable industry. It's it, it's um, not, but it, yeah, it's kind of like I don't know. I yeah, <laughs> I, I I feel I but I, I feel like there is a big disconnect between the value of the dollar versus like the, you know you know what I was saying earlier. It's kind of like a dollar when you actually do the conversion is actually um, relatively cheap in in the UK. I don't know. I think just to, you know, it, it's all about that. It's like you said, what are people willing to pay? And I think that, yeah, I think whilst yes, they are seeding and they are getting lots of lots of stuff out there. I think that they need to do more to get people to read, and, and in in turn, they can kind of make more profit on what's profitable, i.e., the movies. So, yeah. or they could release eighteen different Wolverine books and. <laughs> right. Get the that way. So, well, um, yeah. anyway. Anyway, Moon Girl number 31, we have the return of Amy Reader for a one-shot issue. Very special anti-smoking issue. Yeah, do do either of you guys smoke? <laughs> no. I I don't either. <laughs> I uh I I My struggled with it when I was a little younger. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's fair uh, enough. Smoking is bad news. Um, and um, this this story decides to take it on, you know, and um, uh, the tale begins with Lunella spending some quality time gardening with her mom, which is nice since we haven't seen Lunella's parents in forever. Right. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, Lunella's being her same old self and kind of squandering the time by lecturing her mom about the importance of bees mm-hmm. and how all the pesticides that they are use killing for the bees. plants we need are killing the bees. bees. Yeah, we need bees. Bees are essential. Um, she, I was going to say, she's doing and, exactly what like every child does when they get an idea in their head. They just keep talking okay. about it. It's just, yeah, it's just hilarious. Well, uh, the particular pesticide that um, her mom's using to keep her flowers from being eaten by, I don't know, caterpillars or whatever, um, is harmful for bees, and it actually contains nicotine. Um, and uh, sort of, um, you know, Miss Lafayette uses the opportunity to steer the conversation towards the dangers of smoking and telling her daughter to, pro- you know, asking her, pro- her daughter to promise never to try cigarettes. And uh, Lunella's like, why would I ever, why would, who would ever do something so stupid? And she's like, well, check it out. And they go peek around a corner to uh, a couple of uh, knucklehead kids who are in flavor country. And they're all smoking cigarettes. Um, and Lunella is just perplexed by this. Why, you know, she's such an analytical thinker. It just cannot, she can't bend her head around why her peers would do something so foolish as to smoke, you know. She's pragmatic, and she can tell right away that smoking is little more than an addiction, and that any sense of pleasure that a smoker gets from, from smoking 
is just temporarily sating that addiction and gaining the relief from symptom, from withdrawal syndrome. Um, you know, so that's stupid. But um, what she can't see is that sometimes youngsters do, they smoke things, they use tobacco just because it's taboo. It's a naughty, forbidden thing they can do together and gain a sense of solidarity from being bad together. Um, that's all really stupid, but that's the way kids are sometimes. Kids are sometimes stupid. Um, and it's kind of alienating for Lunella. Uh, she's such an outlier. Uh, she's confused over how her, her fellow kids think. Um, and right. to make matters worse, she can smell the cigarette and something about it smells kind of tempting, um, which is weird. Over the next few days, Lunella is increasingly dismayed at seeing more and more of the people in her life starting to smoke. First, she finds her classmate, Ed- Eduardo, and he's smoking. Then her teacher, uh, some of the kids at school, and then all of a sudden her mom buys a carton of cigarettes. And she's like, Mom, what are you doing? She's like, oh, yeah. do as I say, not as I do. Um, so Lunella knows something weird is at hand. So she retreats to her lab where she and Devil Dinosaur start trying to, uh, um, you know, get in, figure out what's up. I love dinosaurs, uh, Devil Dinosaur's lab gear. Yeah. Yeah, he's got nice <laughs> goggles on. It's great. <laughs> so just then, Luna, uh, Lunella is buzzed by some abnormal-looking bee who she manages to catch, and uh, she realizes that this bee, through her experimentation, uh, she realizes this bee has been mutated by some means, and it's spreading a pesticide derivative of its own that's causing everyone in the Lower East Side to become addicted to nicotine. Um, she says, well, we gotta, we got to take care of this. So she attaches a miniature global positioning thing to the bee, releases it, and then tracks it back to its hive. Um, and it's here that she and Devil Dinosaur encounter the mysterious beekeeper. And this beekeeper unmasks, and who reveals himself as a supervillain named Swarm. Ah! <laughs> Swarm. Swarm is an old foe of Spider-Man. Uh, he is basically the sentience of an evil Nazi scientist who, through some goofy comic book means, has been remanifested into the form of this big humanoid phalanx of bees. Um, he's actually a pretty scary-looking dude. Fortunately, he uses a lot of like goofy monologuing, so you don't get too <laughs> scared of him. Um, so uh, he he goes off on his monologue and says that he's using the bees to get everyone addicted to to cigarettes, and then he'll conquer the world. I don't know something like that. Fortunately, Moon Girl's prepared, and she's connected a set of pressurized cool air tanks to Devil Dinosaur's snout. And these jets of cool air have the effect of rendering this legion of bees unconscious um, without hurting them. Like a and giant in so doing, right? Oh, so this I, dissipates swarm. Go ahead. So I, I I didn't realize that that was actually a thing, but obviously it must be because where do bees go during the winter? Um, so it's it's educational. Well, yeah, and it's how beekeepers will go into the hive. They spray the condensed air on the bees in the hive to put them to sleep so that they can get the honey without getting stung. Yep, you learn something new every day. It's like it's amazing. Right. So, so she. I uses learned that this from reading Rainbow air. when I was five. Ah, uh, Lavar Burton. Um, so this dissipates uh, swarm. I guess he, his sentience goes away. I don't know. 
Um, and then Lunella uses uh, some cool compound to reverse the effects of the uh, of the nicotine addicting bees, or I don't know, whatever. It's um it's a fun little story. Um, all you know, kind of just window dressing to um, impress this notion that you should not smoke, um, which is great. Unfortunately, and this is me talking, uh, anti-smoking messages, just like anti-drinking and anti-drug messages, it's very tricky business, and they can easily backfire. Uh, increasing awareness and interest in a targeted behavior while failing to dissuade experimentation. You know, things like the Just Say No campaign here and DARE, the research actually found that those did more harm than good. <laughs> that they di- they um, they they don't discourage drug use. They actually uh, encourage interest and uh, the idea, uh, the wish to experiment. Um, so while I think this is a laudable um, exercise, that, that I'm glad that they're trying to do this, um, it might not be very effective. You know, a couple of years back. Marvel instituted a whole executive action, ordering that smoking is no longer shown in the comic books. Characters like Wolverine and Nick Fury and J. Jonah Jameson, who were always shown chomping on cigars, or or Gambit and Pete Wilson, who were shown uh, smoking cigarettes, they all overnight became smoke-free, and no cigarettes were shown in the comics. Even villains weren't allowed to be shown as smoking. And while I'm normally against... Go so ahead. I was about to say that's nearly that's nearly two decades that ban on showing smoking uh, in in Marvel really? has been a it's thing. Been yeah, yeah, which is 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 quite surprising because even in like because comic but mo- well mind you, I was about to say Spider Man, uh, the movie showed him as uh, smoking in the movie, but then I realised that the Spider Man movie came out in what like two thousand and one, two thousand and two, so that is almost two decades ago. So. I feel just, old from a from a psychology yeah right from a psychology point of view I think that's actually a better method is to just make just don't show cigarettes. Um, well, yeah, but I I think you can argue that the target the target audience of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur isn't going to be the same target audience as let's say Miss Marvel or or Spider Man or or something like that. And I, you you. In my opinion, you could argue, but because this is an even younger audience, that they might take potentially more notice. And I, I, this is going to sound awful, but because they are slightly more impressionable, and yeah. you know, I, I I hate that kind of term, but it, it it is. It's kind of like if you're going to give this to your your nieces and nephews. I mean, my my niece is like she's four this year, um, so she might be a bit too young for it. But if I was to give her this at like seven or eight. She might take more notice than than her sister, who is you know significantly older than her. Um, right. You know, it's kind of I I guess it's kind of trying to get the the right audience to read it at the right time. I suppose. Um, my argument I is that I know is, a bunch of I saw a bunch of teachers online say that they're ordering several issues for their class on from their LCSs so that they would have enough for their classes. I guess because you oh, have I, I that curriculum. Great. I think it's a very cool thing, and I hope it works. Um, uh, my my only concern is that in the past, uh, similar style approaches have not worked, um, and that by having smoking as sort of the villain in a comic book, it almost 
creates an extra layer of taboo, like, oh, well, maybe I should try that so I can be cool. And, um, but one thing she does do well, I think, is that Lunella, she goes into the sort of science of it hmm. about, you know, what, what, what an addiction is on almost a neurological level. And I think that was pretty smart. Although mm-hmm. I think they also could have uh, brought in, um, the issue of vaporized cigarettes because mm. that is actually much more of a bad problem with the younger folks these days. Um, at least here in America. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. In the UK. Yeah. But I mean, again, you know, it's a fun issue. It's got a very important message that I'm a hundred percent behind. Uh, artist Ray Anthony Height uh, does uh, steps in for Natasha Bustos and does stellar work filling in for her shoes. I love seeing uh, Emmy Reader back. Um, yes. And um, it's a fun, a fun, uh, fun read. Do you know? Um, do you know? What I um, I, I quite appreciated was the uh, that back page. Um, where I said if cigarettes no. cost seventy five cents per pack, how many packs would equal a three dollar book? Which uh, I don't know, but, you know. I, I guess in the U- U.S. it's well, no, in the U.S. I guess books are like what sixteen dollars for a trade paperback, maybe. Yeah, uh, but packs of cigarettes are like seven or eight bucks now. Where yeah, I'm at. well, yeah, they're they're about they're about seven or eight quid here, and a and a and a, um, a trade paperback is like thirteen pounds. So, yeah, it shows how much inflation's gone up. But I just love the fact it's a $3 book, a $4.50 movie, a $6 record. I mean, could you imagine being able to get stuff for that price now? <laughs> Those are, that was a reprinted old, old, old uh, anti smoking. Yeah, it's from like 1982, and it's just like, wow. Wow, that's <laughs> a decade before I was born. Lots of inflation between now and then. Yeah, yeah, especially in the nineties. <laughs> so, Miss Marvel number thirty. Uh, yeah, our hero Kamala Khan does her best to traverse the con-complated. Oh my God, no, I can't do it. <laughs> Con-complated. Complicated. Complicated path. <laughs> path of young love. In this uh, 30th issue of Miss Marvel from G. Willow Wilson, Nico Leone, and Ian Herring. It was a, f- it's a fun, okay. As if being a teenager, a high schooler, a superhero weren't difficult enough, Kamala has found herself also having to contend with her burgeoning romantic life and all of the wonderful yet terrible feelings that come with it. Oh, and the new girl school is probably a supervillain, so there's that too. <laughs> oh, um, great. So, so Kamala feels pretty comfortable in the world of costume heroes and villains. There, there the path is clear. You know, fight the bad guys, do right. Uh, that's that's all good. Um, be, you know, dealing with her feelings towards Bruno and towards the Red Dagger, that's a whole different story. Um, she's much more comfortable using her powers to foil a robbery as opposed to trying to navigate all these complex feelings and emotions. Um and I don't blame her. She's just not ready to deal with it. It's all coming on too, too fast. Um, a part of her, she probably knows the Red Dagger is actually Kareem, the exchange student from Karachi. He's fairly certain he knows who she is. And he asks the two might talk. And Kamala's like, uh, I don't want to talk. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to deal. So instead she runs off and, uh, um, uh, fights a villain or whatever. 
So when she goes to school the next day, she overhears uh, her friends saying that the new girl in school, uh, Kaylee, uh, is a supervillain. And uh, Kamala's like, oh, yeah, I want to do something to do with that. <laughs> that sounds much easier. So she chases after Kaylee and confronts her. Um, and she says, hey, you know, do you have superpowers? And if so, you know, be chill. And Kaylee is like, nope. And she punches her. And she reveals herself as actually being uh, a robotic shell containing the sinister artificial intelligence known as Doc X. Dun dun dun. dun, dun, dun. dun. Oh, that was almost in sync, guys. That was, that was so, so that good. That was great. <laughs> now, for those of you not in the know, Doc X is the villain Miss Marvel faced off against a few arcs back. It's a computer virus that gains sentience and accrued its knowledge and personality based, of all, based on all of the mean and nasty things people say to each other via social media, computer-based communications, text messages, and all that other shit. Um, it's a pretty awful entity and um, ended up being a very formidable foe for uh, yes. for Miss Marvel to encounter. Um, that was actually one of my favorite Miss Marvel arcs, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying, it's I, a good I, one. I think that's like one of the, the the first complete arcs we actually like reviewed as a as a podcast as well. So fond Is memories, it? fond memories. Um, right. I think. Let's see. What? What? It was. Um, yeah, volume seven of Miss Marvel, entitled uh, "Damage Per Second. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's a great. It's a great. Great trade, great book, great story, and um, yes. And uh, so, uh, Kamala had thought Doc X had been destroyed, but like any virus, it only needed one remaining visage of itself to survive and reconstitute itself. And now it's back and ready to wreak havoc. Um, so elsewhere, Bruno has finally summoned the courage to talk things out with his former girlfriend, Mike. Bruno had broken things off with Mike rather quickly following the accident that left him partially paralyzed. Um, and then he bolted off to Wakanda, leaving Mike feeling rather devastated. You know, Bruno hadn't meant to hurt her feelings, and he apologizes for the rashness and the insensitivity of his actions. He wants to start over with, with Mike and kind of rekindle their friendship. Romance may no longer be in the cards for the two, but they can still be friends, perhaps. But all this is interrupted when they hear that uh, Kaylee has arranged for a spring formal dance at their school. Something to be called a night to remember. <laughs> <laughs> the spring flame. Yeah, this is when the villain will most definitely be revealing her dastardly pan, her plan. <laughs> I guess. Um, so it's a trap. But the whole gang knows, doesn't know what else to do, but to go in to the dance and hope for the best. So Mike, Zoe, and Nakia all get a ride to the dance um, from Neftali and his sister Alana, the only ones who own a car. It's, and it's important that, that Alana's there. But we'll come back to that later. Bruno, meanwhile, attends with his pal, uh, Queezy, who's a fellow student from the Golden School, the Golden City School in Wakanda, uh, who's been taking his spring break to go see America, kind of like uh, someone visiting a third world country. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> That just makes me laugh. The dance goes off fine, and Kaylee steps up to the microphone to make an announcement. And here, Zoe jumps into action and takes things into her own hands. She's not going to stand by idly and let Kaylee do whatever trap she's gotten in mind. She, she seizes the microphone and from Kaylee and proclaims that she is a supervillain. 
you know, the kind of thing that usually happens at a school dance. Um, right. It's a kind of an ironic turn of events because uh, Zoe attempts to out Kaylee as a supervillain, whereas it was Doc X who had outed Zoe as gay. Um, so a nice little turning of the tables. Unfortunately, Zoe's fellow students don't believe her. Kaylee is pretty and she smells nice. She couldn't be a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but right then, Miss Marvel runs up to make sure Zoe doesn't get hurt. And as she does, she trips on the stage and she tries to right herself and keep herself from falling. And she grabs Kaylee by the shoulder and accidentally rips off her android skin suit. I hate it when that happens. Damn sins. So, yeah. So she's all <laughs> roboted out and everyone's like, oh. And, um, uh, you know, a fight gets out. And then, fortunately, the Red Dagger had been heard the commotion. He swoops in to assist Miss Marvel in the fight. And uh, Miss Marvel and Red Dagger, they fight well in tandem. Uh, they're able to coordinate their moves effectively, tag-teaming the robot, um, doing so in a fashion that keeps it off balance. And all of this is kind of disheartening for Bruno. You know, it's tough for him to see the love of his life working so effortlessly in conjunction with this uh, dashing would-be suitor with excellent hair. Um, and Queasy's color commentary makes things <laughs> no better for him. Um, <laughs> ultimately, Doc X is defeated. It knows it's outmatched and seems to vacate the android, ferreting off and leaving a burnt-out shell of the robot smoldering on the stage. In the aftermath of the battle, Red Dagger admits that he hasn't been fair to Miss Marvel. He likes her a great deal, but Jersey City is her world, and he feels like he's invaded it. He's going to return to Karachi. He knows who she is, and if she ever decides that she feels like she feels... <clears throat> she feels about Kareem the way he feels about her. She knows where to find him. Likewise, Bruno infam- informs Queasy that he's decided not to return to Wakanda. Uh, New Jersey's got nothing on the majesty of the Golden City, but Bruno's it's his home, and it's where he's meant to be. Queasy understands he expected as much and lets him know that he's always welcome back on Wakandan soil. Uh, meanwhile... Zoe stands off to the far end of the stage, and she sighs, seeing Miss Marvel and Red Dagger sharing a moment. It's a romantic sight, but it's also bittersweet because Zoe feels like this is something that, you know, is never going to be for her. She had been head over heels in love with her friend Nakia, but Nakia isn't into girls, and though she'll always be a friend to her, it can't be romantic. But wait, what's this? Naftali's sister Alana has stuck around and approaches Zoe to tell her how pretty she looks in this dress. Well, well, well. <laughs> Very cute, you know? Sometimes exactly what you're looking for is hiding in plain sight. So, or as the narration does it, uh, here I should read it, uh, their narration states it much better. We like to think we choose the people we love, but we don't. Life puts those people on our path, and we love them because we're in it together. How oh, nice. All right. So, another fantastic issue. I think this issue and, what, 29? Yeah. One before, they've been just fantastic. I mean, I like all of these, but these have been particularly good. Um, yeah, I, I you know. Miss Marvel kills it every single time for me. Um, it, I, I, it's one of those books where you think, I wish I'd picked that up in monthly long before we even started the podcast. Uh, because it's genuinely it just it just is such a good book every single time. 
it's a it's it's worth a read every time around. Now myself, I've been Team Kareem the entire time, so I'm kind of sad to see the Red Dagger leave. Um, yeah. But I don't think that Kamala and Bruno are going to be uh, in a relationship either. I think they're just going to be friends. You know, this is somewhere. This is a a kind of you know how we're we're constantly saying that that Miss Marvel's got a lot of sort of sp- early days Spider-Man vibe going yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Here's something where it kind of deviates. Peter Parker, he was always trying to get together with Gwen Stacy or Liz Allen or Betty Brandt or Mary Jane Watson. Kamala's different. She doesn't want this. She wants to go at a slower pace. And, you know, she's interested in boys and she wants to deal with her feelings, but she wants to navigate this in accordance to her faith and her cultural customs. You know, she's not as... She, she just wants to go slow, and I like that. I think that's a nice change of pace, you know. So, um, I, perhaps things different in the future, we'll know. I, I kind of like how, um, I mean, maybe, maybe I've not read enough Miss Marvel for um, to make this sort of connection, but it does kind of relate well to Carol Danvers, um, Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel, because, you know, she's a, she's a, a, a strong woman, in comic books, she doesn't need. She's never a sidekick. She's never a you know a, someone in the background. She's always, you know, a main part of a team. She's always got a, you know she's always main part of her own book. And and I think that it's kind of echoing that as well. Um, hmm. I have been reading a lot of Captain Marvel lately as well. So or enough. <laughs> um, well, it is her idol. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's 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 like it's it's you know you you don't need. You don't need. I, 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 well, I just think it's it's a really nice kind of tie back, and and you know we do keep saying it's Spider Man, but I also think that she's taken a lot from her idol. I think that's nice. Yeah. Well, once again, the art by Nico Leone and the coloring by Ian Herring um, just match seamlessly with the writing. Um, I especially was digging uh, Nico Leone's. Uh, knack for funny facial expressions yeah. uh, they really uh, land the punchlines for all of the gags there's so much f- the look on zoe's face upon discovering that kaylee is a robot is both hilarious and terrifying <laughs> at the same time it's just <laughs> uh, it's a uh, yeah it's a really five out of five yes. yeah yeah I, I think um i think it's always going to be five out of five for me i think i think i don't think this book's going to do anything particularly bad well, the next issue will mark, I guess, what? The 50th? 50th issue, yeah. If, well, it's going to be the 31st, but technically it's the 50th issue, and they've got a whole bunch of people coming in to work on that book. Um, it's going to be a star-studded affair. Yeah, um, I mean... I, so I, I look forward to that. I think, like I said earlier, I think I really wish I'd got it in, in monthly, sort of from issue one way back when, but this will actually be the first paper copy of the uh of the miss marvel that, I've, that I, I will own um so so yeah and it's 50th issue which is is really good can't wait for it pretty exciting yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's not so... often it's not often you see books get to not 50 issues continuously but you know 31 issues continuously is pretty good for a book um i only know literally moon girl and i think like old man logan is higher essentially um, there are a few others, but they're the current ongoings. So, Lockjaw number four? 
Oh, I'm so sad to see this book come to an end. Me what too. A what a fun ride. ride. <laughs> That's so insane. It really and, is. And I tell you, you know, reading the book, trying in sort of in the back of my head, thinking, okay, how am I going to summarize this in my review? I'm like, oh my god, I don't know. Oh, what? I lost your dog. I <clears throat> just trying to figure out how I was going to create a summary because the plot is so crazy. Um. I think you pulled it off pretty well. Okay, well. All right, so there's been this mysterious signal sent out to Lockjaw, and it's uh, brought him on this quest to ensure that all of his siblings are safe. Um, and the down-on-his-luck retired superhero Dennis D-Man Dumfrey has uh, stum- stumbled into accompanying Lockjaw on this adventure that has literally traversed every corner of the multiverse including DC Comics, but we'll get to Which that in a second. Great. <laughs> we had a great panel. So, it turns out that the signal was sent by Lockjaw's sister, Dockjaw, who is a highly intelligent doggo uh, from the anthropomorphic universe. Okay, just roll with me on this one. Um, anyways, Dockjaw had sent out the signal, hoping it would beckon Lockjaw so that he could save his brother from the negative zone where the evil Annihilus was trying to use him to gain an unlimited portal through which he could hope he hoped to conquer the multiverse. Wow. But first Lockjaw must remember how to teleport to the multiverse teleport to the to the uh negative, negative zone. zone. Right. Um and recalling this information requires him venturing into the dreamscape where the memory can be unlocked from his unconscious. So whatever. The dreamscape is this realm where you dream and he and he, yeah yeah so so he get he some sort of doc jaw puts some sort of probe and he puts like a spaghetti strain, strainer on d-man's head and they both enter into the dreamscape where they meet sleepwalker who's an old 1990s hero who's kind of like the sandman but with more on him on a ps to it um <laughs> he's the defender of the dream realm and through all this we get to see um, uh, Lockjaw's true origin in a kind of a flashback that occurs in the dreamscape. And it's a wild origin. So many years back, uh, an inhuman of the lower caste named Myron ventured out beyond the confines of Adeline into the forbidden world of mankind. There she saw a mistreated dog and mistook it for a human infant. So she grabbed the dog and ran back to Adeline, hoping, hoping to save her. Uh, Myron was arrested by the Royal Guard, and the dog she abducted was handed over to the Genetic Council and its unscrupulous Surgeon Supreme. So the Surgeon Supreme guy is a real cad, um, and he was, uh, he's was he been made privy to King Agon and Queen Rinda's effort to expand upon the properties of Terragenesis by exposing their unborn infant uh, to the Terragen myths while still in the womb. Before they conducted this experiment, however, Agon wanted to make sure that the process was safe, and he tasked Surgeon Supreme to conduct preliminary trials on in vitro terogenesis using animals. Oh. So, all right, that's just awful. Um, yeah. So the the surgeon used this dog that Myron had unwittingly brought to him for a test subject, and it turns out it was a successful test because um, they she was they made her pregnant somehow. Oh, God, how did they? Oh, they cloned cells 
and did yeah. something or another to make her pregnant. And then while she was pregnant, they, they, they gave her the Terrigen gas or some version of the Terrigen gas. And they succeeded in that one of the puppies, uh, was indeed imbued with, uh, supernatural human powers. And this pup was Lockjaw. And along with enhanced strength, large size, and the ability to teleport, uh, he was also empowered with a sort of preternatural sense of awareness. And even as a pre-born pup, he knew that his siblings were at risk of being test subjects of the sinister Surgeon Supreme. Say that three times fast. So, in order to save his brothers, Lockjaw used his teleportation powers to transport each of them to a safe location. His brother Bixby was taken to Brooklyn. His sister, the Beast, was brought to the Savage Land. His other sister, uh, Dockjaw, was brought to the larval Earth of the anthropomorphic universe. And his other brother, not yet to be named, was brought to the Negative Zone, which Lockjaw had mistakenly believed to be a safe locale. Um, so, seeing all these memories relieved, uh, relived uh, was very difficult for Lockjaw, but it did achieve its goal, because uh, Dockjaw had been monitoring this, and through her own technological blah blah blah, she was able to get a fix on the frequency of the teleportation to the negative zone, and they could now use that to return to the negative zone and save their brother from Annihilus. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> which they do, barely giving D-Man a moment to catch his breath. And before you know it, the two o the two of them are facing off against the dreaded Annihilus and the villainous Lord of the Negative Zone. And he's just as fond of exposition as Dockjaw is, and he explains that he utilized technology stolen from the High Evolutionary to create those all those uh, hamster flying saucer creatures <laughs> and. Yeah. Um, and that he wanted to get Lockjaw and, and take him apart and figure out how his teleportation works. And then he's going to use that to conquer everything. Um, and, uh, so that's that. And there's like, nope, it's fighting time. And a big old fight ensues. Um, and in the middle of it, um, uh, D-Man, he's, he's having a hard time breathing the atmosphere in the negative zone. And Doc Joe had gave him this little like asthma inhaler thing, um, which he uses, and it has some sort of <laughs> mutagenic thing, and it turns him into this giant dragon creature or some sort. I don't know why it just happens. Um, so the dragonized D-Man jumps in the fray. Lockjaw's power seems to surge in the battle, and the whole bunch of them are transported all over the multiverse. I'm too they sober for to- this. Would you mourn? <laughs> They show, up, Asgard. <laughs> they show up in Asgard, and he's, he's like, oh, oh, yes, dogs fighting. I need more drinking for this. <laughs> and then they show up in the realm between realms where Val Richards and Franklin Richards have been hit and kicking it with their parents since the Secret War event, and it's good to see them. Then they show up in the uh, Ultimate Universe, and where Hulk makes references to fidget spinners, and they go <laughs> here and there, and then... Then they end up in the DC universe, and, and Superman and Wonder Woman, you only see their boots, they're like, hey, you guys aren't in the right place. And then finally they show up back in prehistoric time, where um, the the Avengers bazillion BC are like, hey, look at those guys. Bazillion BC. Oh, dear. Sorry. Right. Yes. And, Wait, uh, you can uh, domesticate dogs, this changes everything. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so here's, here's where their fight is in this prehistoric realm that, that their fight comes to a head and, uh, Lockjaw does this big head butt that knocks Annihilus off a cliff and he's like, oh, surprise suckers, I can fly. And then just then this big megalodon jumps out of the water, Jurassic World style and, and gobbles them up. <laughs> and that's it for him. And so he's, he's dead. And this is bananas. I don't know what's going on. Um, so then Lockjaw <laughs> returns home and he takes, uh, D-Man back to, to Brooklyn and his, his dragon self powers have worn off and he's back to his normal self. And he teleports him right home where his sister is there. And she's really relieved to see him because he's been missing. And D-Man has been such a good guy and a good friend. Lockjaw feels confident to leave his brother in his care. And so now, so now D-Man has his own dog. Um, and I hope he gives him a name soon because I don't know what to call him. Um, and then Lockjaw returns home to Arctillan where he waddles past Luna and Karnak and Black Bolt and Medusa, making sure it's all is well. He gets a knowing nod of approval from Blackjaw and then snuggles up Black for Jaw. a well-deserved from Black Bolt. <laughs> Blackjaw. Uh, Blackjaw. That, that, that should be his name. That should be uh, yeah. uh, Lord Coast Brother's name. For no apparent reason. And then he has a nap and he thinks about all of his beloved siblings and it's here that this wild, wacky adventure comes to its conclusion. <sighs> and breathe. Totally. <laughs> Uh, do you know it? If it doesn't seem possible that like three and a half months has already gone by since we first got that it's book, over. Yeah. And I'm sad because um, Daniel Kibblesmith wrote a really fun comic that was just really out there. Yeah, and awesome. And he's and he's a great guy to talk to because I think it was what like episode forty, something like that. Well, right, I spoke I to him. Um, just plug in our own podcast. There, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a shame it's over. I'm going to miss that book because it, it just, yeah. It was a blast. Yeah. It was. And I, and I think, uh, we can, I think like, uh, we can look at Mr. Kibblesmith as being kind of like the patron saint of G list superheroes. <laughs> I mean, he had them all in there. Uh, yeah, he did. Sleepwalker, Kazar. Uh, it, it's I mean, it's basically well, it's if 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 you grew up on comics in the nineties, he he brought all of them back, <laughs> right? right? Um, D Man, yeah. I mean, it's just a bunch of wacky wild characters. And, and, what a uh, fun. You know what? If if he's not on another Spider Ham, oh, and Spider Ham, Spider Ham yeah. is awesome, and Spider Ham, um, he's getting his own action figure apparently. So you know, and also. Spider Ham shows up quite a bit in Spider Gwen, or he did. I'm behind on my Spider Gwen, but he he kind of shows up like as a little angel or devil on Gwen's shoulder sometimes. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. I, I need to buy that book. I'm gonna be honest. I need to buy that book. Yeah, you do. Spider Gwen's pretty amazing. Oh, I thought I thought the whole um, Spider Verse saga in Amazing Spider Man was actually quite good. Um, yeah, I've, I've got, I recommend that. I've got Spider Verse sitting on my um, shelf, and I read I think like the first. 10 pages or so and I thought it was really good I still need to read the other 4,000 or whatever's in that book <laughs> but yeah yeah it's a real shame it's over and I'm gonna I'm gonna miss that one yeah, yeah uh, we would like to have Mr. Kibblesmith on another comic please Marvel um, don't wait to do that just just do it yeah just, just yeah. anything just put him on like you know 
D man gets his dog, goes on the dog walk, issue one. Um, right. <laughs> I read it. Or, well, yeah. Return of the Pet Avengers. Yes. Oh my god. Well, speaking of Pet Avengers, have you been reading Quicksilver? Yes. No. The Squirrel Turtle? Mr. Dibble. I've seen that, yeah. Mr. Pet Dibble. Avenger. <laughs> so, speaking of other comics, though. Um, just a quick one, Doc. Did you did you want to have a brief? Did you want to talk briefly about Dazzler? Yeah, that does tie into Inhumans, I think. And just, I mean, just yeah, it, it doesn't have to be a boy, you, but yeah, it was a it was a one shot uh, Dazzler X song, um, and it was. Uh, but hold on a second, let me. It addressed the Inhumans versus X Men issue, I think. What, just yeah, the sure fact did. That Inhumans versus X Men was a thing. Yes. <laughs> no, no, the, the lingering, the lingering animosities between humans and Inhumans. Uh, so this was a, a a fun and kind of poignant, sometimes unsettling journey into the New York superpowered punk scene. Uh, writer Magdalene Viziago um, did the writing, we, and we, Laura. We, we, apo- we apologize for butchering anybody's names. Yes. Yeah. As normal. Laura Braga did the art. And, and Rochelle Rosenberg again. Rochelle she's Rosenberg. Our, our MVP colorist of the month because she's been on just about every book we've reviewed this week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Rochelle, and if you haven't met Rochelle Rosenberg, she's really awesome. And if you see her at a con, stop by and say hi, guys. She's great. Anyway, anyways, go ahead. It's an interesting story because it's about this young inhuman girl or a latent inhuman who was turned by the Charajan Miss and she she doesn't really care about being inhuman, but she she does want to go see the Dazzler because that's her favorite musician. And um, she's playing with a new band called the Lightbringers, and she just wants to go well, and have fun. The poster in the background says Lightbringer with the Snickets. Yeah, I don't know who the Snickets are, but oh, um, I guess that's the band. So is she calling herself Lightbringer now? No, I, I think the Snickets was the was the opening act. It's oh. Dazzler and Lightbringers. Got <laughs> it. Like, okay. Not to be confused with Jem and the holograms. Um, Which, you know, actually, I got a very big Jem vibe from this whole issue, but go ahead. Right. Um, unfortunately, there's a group of mutants who, um, who who are going to the show, and they feel like a Dazzler concert should be uh, mutants only, no human, no inhumans allowed. Um the the animosity between the mutants and inhumans is it stems from the the terrible effect the Terrigen Cloud had had on mutants all over the world, and while the cloud has since been destroyed, those animosities continue to linger on. And um, you know these these kids they don't want any I don't know how they know that this girl Nora is an inhuman, but they they somehow know and they're like no you're not you're not allowed in here. But uh, Dazzler intercedes, and she says that her music's for everyone. Everyone's invited. This is supposed to be about solidarity and inclusion. Mutants and inhumans and humans all come together. Let's watch some music. Let's have fun. Which should be fine, but it isn't. Because this quasi-militarized group of mutants, they continue to show up at all of the shows that Lightbringers have, uh, trying to keep uh, inhumans out. Um, and meanwhile, the Col- Colossus from the X-Men has been showing up here and there trying to get Dazzler to rejoin the X-Men. 
which she ultimately will because she's going to be part of the new astonishing team. Um, but it all comes down to a big old fight where, where, where Dazzler has to uh, use her powers to, um, to defeat this sort of uh, militized group of gatekeepers um, and, uh, you know, make it so that this is a, uh, well, whatever. It's all about intersectionality. This idea that you can have two groups who are both oppressed and marginalized in their own ways, and they should be friends because they've both gone through similar experiences, but for one reason or another, they end up kind of at each other. Um, you know, one interpretation is that in this uh, particular comic, um, Nora and her other inhuman friend kind of represent trans women. And yeah. the mutants who don't want her around uh, represent uh, trans-exclusive feminists or TERFs. TERFs. Um, right. Yeah. And that um, if you really think about it, the idea that, you know, that they should they should get along. Um, you know, feminists and trans women, they've got more in common than they have apart. And um, the powers that be, you know, the man... They, they would be very afraid if, if these two groups actually coalesced and got together. Um, they should, but they don't always. That's just the way it is. Joe, I have to, um, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I haven't actually read this one because it's in um, a load of books that uh, were meant to arrive today, but nobody was interested to, to, to receive it. <laughs> but um, Thanks. Yeah, that was fun. Um, but it, it, it sounds like at its core, um, it is just what the X-Men stand for. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like right. the whole thing that the, the, the X-Men were based on, you know, trying to be included, try, you know, inclusivity and, and it's, you know, the allegory for racism and that sort of stuff. And it, it, it this book sounds like it really feeds that through, um, which is great. And it's, well, it's, right. it, it's, it, it's a, it's a nice character and it's a nice book to do that in, I think. Well, it, it, I mean, you know, it does it, 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 it brings up the issue of intersectionality, which I think is an, is an important matter for the mutant metaphor to, to bring in. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I would have liked for some of the mutant bad guys to be shown in a bit of a more sympathetic light because, um, it, it kind of made it a little too black and white. Right. Um, yeah. Um, but I, 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 I mean, I don't know. I I don't really want to particularly comment too much on that because it's not something that I've ever been. Uh, I care. Well, I care about it. Deal. Obviously, it, it's it's kind of it, you know it it's one of those things where I don't know enough about to to make a, an informed comment. Put it that way. Right. Being the victim of bigotry doesn't always inoculate a person from being from being exactly fearful and bigoted themselves. Yeah. You know. There are plenty of Jewish people who are racist, many black people who are homophobic, many Latinos who are sexist, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's sad. It's true. And it's something that really needs to be worked through because that, I mean, we're, you know, here in America, the, the, anyone who is not, you know, not of the sort of white Christian majority is really in bad shape with the current administration. We don't have time for infighting. We definitely need to gather together and, and show solidarity. Um, 
And, um, you know, not to be too heavy handed, but the same thing is true in the Marvel Universe. The idea that, that mutants and inhumans still fighting each other is ridiculous, exactly. especially mm-hmm. in, yeah. the, in the light of the whole secret empire mm-hmm. ordeal where half of the country was taken over by Nazis. Um, and, um, so, you know, I imagine that there's a lot of readers out there who felt this issue was too ham-fisted or whatnot, but I thought it was quite good. And, you know, the art was really Oh man. Uh, That's an artist I want to keep around. Laura's, I love Laura's art. You know who she kind of reminded me of? Um, her style Mm -hmm. reminds me of, uh, the Mockingbird artist, Kate, I cannot pronounce her last name. Yeah, I can't either. I'm so sorry, but the, she, her her style really reminds me of the Mockingbird artist, and I really like that art style. I think I'm going to really look forward to that then. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, and, um, and uh, yeah, it was a, it's a fun, poignant. Well, definitely but check it out. I want if you're a fan of A Force, this is definitely a good book because um, I'm going to spoil it because I got so excited when I read it. Um, so she's talking to uh, Colossus, and they're looking in the trunk of her car, and you see. Mjolnir in there. That's Dazzler Thor. <laughs> yeah, Dazzler. that's so hilarious. So I, I thought that was a great, a great throwback to uh, Dazzler Thor, and uh, I am very happy to hear that uh, Allison has Dazzler Thor's hammer. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think it's really good that Matt Rosenberg is actually going to be using Dazzler in his um, Astonishing X Men run. Um, okay. Taking over, t- taking over from. Um, uh, Charles Soule, friend of Charles. well, I say friend of the show. We've never actually had him on yet, so right. um, but yeah. uh, possibly eventually, please. As, as, so that's as, that's what as, you want to do if you want to be a big name X writer. Start off by writing in human books. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because and then I actually did pick up the Dazzler issue. I know I don't like X Men, but I do like Dazzler. Thanks to Kelly Thompson. Mm-hmm. So I went and I saw that and I said, oh, gotta get that. So. Yeah, Dazzler is and a... did you like it? I did. I really enjoyed the issue. I liked it. And I liked the throwback to the A-Force and seeing what uh, Allison was up to since uh, A-Force was wrongfully cancelled. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed um, I really enjoyed Dazzler's makeover in uh, Bendis' Uncanny X-Men. Although they've kind of oh, like yeah. they've kind of like merged That's the two well. now, haven't they? They've kind of they've kind of made her look a bit like punky but also kept that kind of pop starry um seventies, eighties vibe going with her. Um which I really like, actually. I do genuinely like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm so yeah, she's to her, in this issue. She's rocking the look that I think Ben Caldwell designed for her in the second half of A Force. Yeah, um, um, it's a little different. I think she it's it's, it's kind of like a merger. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But I yeah. like the whole thing. Yeah, but I mean, funnily enough, um, A Force is uh, one of the books I got this week. Um, you I got, will love it. A Force is amazing. I, yeah, I've, I read it on Unlimited, but um, I felt that it was one of those books that I kind of want on my shelf. Um, so, <laughs> so I currently pay like ten pounds a month for Unlimited, which I ultimately just go out and buy the books anyway. So, is it well, a waste wait, of you money? Know, Mar- I don't know. Marvel just decided they're going to re-ish. They're going to bring back Unstoppable Wasp because the trade paperback sold so well. It's I wonder. Same, it's the same with Iceman. Iceman as well. I wonder if maybe A Force did okay in in trade form. Maybe they could come back too. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. It's such it was such a nice run, um, the A Force run, and I I really enjoyed the Secret Wars as well. 
the was basically it's, it's released as volume zero. Um, which, funny enough, um, I also got the Secret Wars um, Thor uh, pop as well. It cost me a pretty penny. Good so, job. Yeah. So, but, right. but that was it. I'm glad the Dazzler issue t- uh, covered a topic that is still a point of contention among, apparently, in the Marvel Universe and among its fans. But yeah, yeah. it was a discussion that needed to be had, even if it was a little too black and white. And on that note, and I, I think I think there's a. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more from this writer. Um, yes. Whose um, name I'm so bad at. Magdalene. Magdalene Visaggio. Visaggio. I would think it would be how it's pronounced. And I love the artist. I'd love to see more from the artist as well. So. Right. And anyone interested in Miss Visaggio's work should definitely check out a, a an independent book called Kim and Kim, which is a Stellar read. What, what else has she? What else has she uh, been on? Because I recognise her name, and I don't. I don't think it's just from Dazzler. Well, I only know Kim and Kim. I think she did uh, part of the Venom verse comics. Oh. <laughs> Some Venom comic. I'll, I'll look nice. into that because I, I recognise yeah. her name from somewhere, and I don't know where. It's yeah, from. and I'm I'm not recognising it either. But I I really, um, I really enjoyed it. So hold on, what else has she done? Kim and no, preparedness guys. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, she did Edge of Venom verse with. She did one of those. You're right. So, and Kim and Kim. That's it. That's oh, all okay. I got. That's fair enough. I just I thought I'd recognize the name, so it might have just been in the uh, run up to the Dazzler one shot. Um, but yeah, and she's nominated, so we need more of her works in Marvel because I really enjoyed that book story. So there we have it. Yeah. Cool beans, everyone. Thanks for listening. That's a long episode. And you can find us at Adelan Rising One on Twitter, uh, and the show AtalanRising.com if you want to email us because we do read all of them. There you have it. Till next time, guys. Issue uh, issue uh, episode number forty-seven. Next time. Yay! Nearly fifty. Yay! Forget here. I'll have a giveaway for fifty, guys. Yeah. It'll be I'll, a real. Giveaway for issue number fifty. Yeah. So I think I'll get some as well. So, which would yeah. be great. Cool. Until next time. Bye.